Welcome to Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. In this show, we'll be talking to some real-life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and maybe even feelings of hopelessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this moment than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. Join me now in welcoming Paku Her to our show today. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, and I have just a few questions for you. Might take a minute to get through them. And in between them, I might be asking some clarifying questions and things like that. Um, so please excuse me in advance if there's any interrupting or sort of shifting uh, the conversation here and there. Totally fine. Thanks for having me, Felicia. Um, I'm needing to be reminded right now. Could you tell us exactly where you are located geographically? I am in the middle of the country. I live in Kansas City, Missouri, the crossroads of the United States. Oh, is that, is that what it's, it's referred it to, the crossroads? And I refer to it as um, the crossroads as in if a Southern Belle and a cowboy and a very practical lumberjack had a, um, a love child, it would be wow. Kansas City. It would be Kansas City. Wow. Okay. Doesn't, okay. Doesn't that really help you understand? You can uh, visualize. I was definitely visualizing it, but the, I don't. I don't know that the visual then landed on you. But yes, well, yes. This place. Yeah. This place. I am, Got it. I am the Southeast Asian child of refugees living in this place. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. That's really helpful for folks who are listening <laughs> who don't know you. So okay. thank you. Um, so uh, Paku, I'm wondering if you could briefly. Uh, or actually in any detail that you want, describe what your life was like before this COVID-19 pandemic began. What was work life uh, like for you? What did you do for fun? What was that family and home life like? And then tell us a little bit about, well, what is it like now? What are you doing differently, if anything? Oh, yeah, there's a lot that's very different right now. Um, so before the pandemic, um, my family and I live very full, rapid-fire lives. I have two younger kids. They're not tiny, but my younger child is nine, and the older of the two is 11. And they are both elite athletes, which means we are doing high-intensity sports for them five to six days out of the week. They go to school full-time. My spouse works full-time. I work full time and I also do consulting. I have a small consulting firm doing racial equity and um, social justice and diversity oriented organization development. It just so, occurred to me that you said that you live with a nine year old and an 11 year old, which means you live with 9-11, which is a super <laughs> interesting and scary sort of like framework to the world, but oh okay, God, got it. And, and when you say that they are elite athletes, what, what does that mean? Like what, what sports um, do they engage in? Yes. So my older daughter races BMX bikes. She's been racing um, for seven years. She is one of the top riders in her age and division in the country. She's competed um, around the world um, in world, world events. Um, so she's pretty serious. Are you, are you, is, I, it like, is it like anticipating Olympics sort of yes. like pretty serious? Yes. Okay, she got it. So is, you're one of those people. Got I'm it. one of those people. I, okay. She's on the Olympic track. Okay. And then my younger daughter um, is a speed skater. She, an inline speed skater, so not on ice. She's not transitioned to ice. Um, she would tell you that her first identity is an artist and a creative, which is true. And she happened to 
discover that she liked doing sports and we dragged her to do sports because her sister cross trains in the off season doing inline speed skating. And my younger daughter, um, still to my absolute surprise is really good at it. <laughs> really good. <at> it. <laughs> um, and really loves it. And she, um, while she is not yet Olympic track or decided if she wants to be, she's also two years younger. Um, right. But she does want to skate well enough that she does world competitions and she wants to skate in Japan. Like that's her big dream. So she wants to travel the world and skate. So this means like this is, you know, this is not simply recreational for them. And it is incredibly time consuming and they travel. So before the pandemic, when I wasn't working a full-time job doing digital campaigns and consulting 30 to 50% time on right. side gigs, training and teaching. I spent the rest of my life ferrying children to sports. It was basically, it's basically like a very um, sometimes appreciated chauffeur. <laughs> and I love that it's sometimes, only sometimes appreciated. Other sometimes. times, isn't this your job? Got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So, um, so that was really what we did. And I think unless you are raising um, children who are engaging in a discipline and not just sports, it could be anything. It could be music. It could be dance. It could be art where there's this level of intensity and performance. Um, unless you are doing that yourself, it's very difficult to understand just how many hours of the day you put into it. But like literally our days were wake the children up at seven twenty, like allow them to sleep as long as possible. Mm -hmm. So we would wake up at seven twenty, sometimes seven thirty. They, are dressed, they eat breakfast, they brush their hair, they brush their teeth, we pack their lunches, they pack their bags, and they are out the door by eight o'clock, all in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and then they go to school, and then we pick them up, they come home, we shovel food down their gullets, and then we go to sports. And then we're at sports practice at 530. Um, when do you get home? We typically will get home by 830 or nine. And then they go to bed. Uh, well, then they get ready. And then they get in high season, then they're in 30, 945. And then yeah. we get up and we do it again. That's a very full day. And so much of it sounds like it is not at home, stuck inside or no. in, your, in your little area. It's not. And it's, been, it's really interesting because, because I've worked from a home office for 15 years. Like this part of the pandemic is not new at all. I've been working out of a home office and working on digital teams, just distributed teams for a decade and a half. Um, so that's not new. And what does that mean, though? That means that means you work from home. Mm -hmm. And how do you how do you go to work then if you're working from home? So that means I um, get my family out the door. And yeah. um, on a really intense work day, that means I get up at 6am. I get up before everybody else. I'll Yikes. put in an hour and a half of work before everybody wakes up. And Ew. then when they walk out the door, that's like a high campaign time. That's actually like right now with the coronavirus. That's how I'm working. Um, and then they walk out the door at eight. And then I'm on 8 to 3.30 or 3.45 until I get in the car. I drive to get the kids from school. I come back home. I make dinner, and I usually work while I'm making dinner um, until we walk out the door again at 5. So that means that while you are familiar right now with the idea of telecommuting, getting on Zooms and emailing and texting or Slack, which is another you know, yes. platform for talking, like you are used to that. Absolutely. But you are not used to doing that in the company of these humans who are <laughs> supposed to be not at home right now Correct. so that you can do your work. Correct. Got it. Correct. Okay. And so we've done like vacations, like spring breaks and that kind of stuff. 
when they're home and they know when I'm working. Um, but this is a whole other level because what this also involves is like some level of mommy, mom being teacher. Um, yeah. And, how is, how is teaching? How's teaching treating you? Um, well, we started today. It was technically spring break. So we started today. Um, but it was a very loose day today because I had to do a bunch of stuff in the middle of the day and be out of the house. So, but they did read for 45 minutes and journal about their reading. And then I'm pretty sure they just played Nintendo all day, <laughs> which is because I was not here. Which I believe is called the, the new pandemic recess. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. It's yes. very long. That's indoor. That's indoor recess. Indoor PE. Indoor um, PE. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Extended right. PE. Uh-huh. But it, but I am, um, I have waves of anxiety when I think now about how with my work as intense as it is right now, because I work for an advocacy group that works with families and children trying to advance any number of advocacy and legislative issues that families and kids and parents. Oh yeah. Hi, this is like your, your peak, your peak moment. Yes. We are in intense rapid response mode, which means like all cylinders firing the entire team working a lot, even while we're really flexible, like, you know, flexible hours, but the amount of work we're doing is high, high intensity. And I'm supposed to teach my kids something. So, so everything right now in your life, both at work is, um, is like rapid response Mm -hmm. at at home, uh, being a parent and, and now having to really be more of a a teacher than the, um, homework sort of, uh, you know, advisor, um, Mm -hmm. is, is also in rapid response. Um, and then I'm assuming uh, what's up with your, your neighbors and your community. Does that also feel like a moment of, of rapid response? And, and what is that like to have so many places that are so high intense in what they need in terms of your time and attention? Yeah. Well, you know, what's really interesting is that the community, the local community actually feels, I was thinking about it today. It feels like everybody's trapped in ice. Like I am in a neighborhood where we have friends and neighbors who are in relationship with each other um, when it's not a pandemic, but everybody has decided to really very strictly isolate. And so what's happened is like, while people are physically isolating, people have also withdrawn socially. So it's very Mm. strange. Um, Like even our next door neighbors, like are unwilling to come out and sit with us around the fire six feet apart. Does that happen? Does that happen any other time? Like, do you notice the neighborhood kind of shutting down, so to speak on um, like during the winter holidays, maybe when there's, when it's very snowy? No, No, not in, not in our neighborhood. And we don't, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, I'm finding it really curious, but I think that there is in general, a sort of relational deadening that's happening right now. And people are confusing relational deadening with, the need to physically be like not on top of each other. Does that make sense? So like people are, people are choosing to quiet the connection of the relationship because they know they need to quiet the physical connection around the relationship in order to like get through this period. Now, Um, now, now Paku, do most of your neighbors are most of your neighbors in your neighborhood families with children? Yeah, we have some family families and kids. And on our street, there are four of us, Mm-hmm. Four families who hang out. We don't hang out all the time, but we do hang out and our kids hang out. And like in three of those four houses are children who are similar or close in age. And so the kids run back and forth to each other's houses. They're not doing that right now. 
Right. Because they can't. And in fact, one of those three families has left Kansas City and gone to Texas to be with, to isolate with the family down in Texas. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So question is, does this time then, you know, I was, I was trying to get there with the like, is this, does this happen when it snows a lot? Does this happen in the winter? Um, you know, in terms of what your neighborhood uh, has done in the past that could at all be familiar to right now, but let's, let's zoom in um, and instead go to you personally or you and your family. Does this time remind you of any other time before um, in your life or in the life of your family where the following happened. One, your day-to-day life pivoted and changed and was not like that anymore. Two, there seemed to be this sort of, you know, stress and pressure of many things. Like we were talking about this rapid response. Like there's a response that needs to happen that's kind of heavy. And three, that there's like an isolation that's sort of like part of that experience in terms of like isolating from community or even from one another. And this could be as familiar as, well, yeah, I once had a cold (laughs) or um, yes, if I recall during 9-11, right? So like, what, is there anything that you can liken what you're feeling, what your work and home life is like, what your stress is, what your fear is that is remotely familiar. And if you can find that thing that seems a little familiar, what did you do then that might be applicable here too. Mm-hmm. So that's a really um, that's a really interesting question to me because it makes me think about sort of two things that feel different. One is like what has shifted and feels different for my family as a family unit, and what has shifted and feels different for me as an individual person. Yeah. For my family, we have not had this much time together with no expectations to be somewhere, rush somewhere, get a kid to this place, go do this thing, go to this race, get on a plane, get in the car and drive 10 hours. We have not had time like this in seven years. And I know, I know you a little bit, a little bit uh, more than our listeners, right? So I know that oftentimes you and your partner split up who's with which child to yes. either do the speed skating or the, or the um, BMX racing, right? Yes. So oftentimes you're all four doing family things, not together but not at together. the same time. But right. not together. Yeah. Like we don't even like, we don't spend Thanksgiving together because each child has big races and we split up at Thanksgiving. Yeah, which is huge, right? So yeah. newsflash, you don't even spend Thanksgiving <laughs> together, yeah, right? Which, which is not a big deal for you all because it's been your tradition. It's your norm. Yes. But for those of us who do spend time with our family and our small family unit together during Thanksgiving, that's like a, oh, okay. So okay. Y'all, y'all are so strong and so united. <laughs> y'all can be separate like that and be cool. Yes. Yes. So and now all, and also that gives you're people, forced together. Um, yes. And that also gives people a sense of like the intensity of the commitment we make to athletics in our family. <laughs> but, oh, yes. Um, but oh, now yes. we're all together and, um, and we have time. And not it's, just been, time together. it's been seven years. Yes. But we have time to like where there are no expectations on our time. And so we, one thing my spouse and I certainly realize is that like, we're both really tired. <laughs> like my, my husband is like, it just hit you. It just hit you. Yeah, Damn, my I'm husband, tired. My husband is like, yeah, I think for the first few weeks, I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to sleep because, like, we don't have to 
drive to Texas this weekend or drive to Nashville for a race or fly to New Mexico or fly to Seattle for something like that was a, a big thing for us. But I think we're learning how to be together and learning how to find the things we enjoy together, but also learning how to share space together. Oh, okay. Um, what, what, is, what does that mean? Share space together? <laughs> well, like, so for example, um, we do a lot of, I, I spend a lot of time working at the dining room table because I work from home. I had an upstairs office. We're changing. The girls are splitting up bedrooms. So there's a story there. But that means that like the girls have had to figure, like we've had to figure out how to share space at the table when one of them wants to like make slime or one of them wants to do crafting or that's just a lot of crap on a table. And um, when they're at school, I don't ever have to think about that. I can have all of my notes spread out and my five headsets, four of which are broken, laying all over, like all of that, <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. Oh, yes. <laughs> People working from home, you know exactly what I mean. And you always grab five headset headsets, five work. headsets, four of them broken. Yes, okay. got it. Um, and so, and also my spouse is working from home now. So he and I are also, we're also sharing space and he's got his work set up. And so it's like, it's a lot of people working. It's a lot of sometimes noise happening. Just a lot of bodies. You know, it, it occurred to me that there was a time where hearing the way you describe living and working would have been like, yeah, duh. Like, like when we, when we were not so urbanized in our, in our way of living and we were like on farms, right? You had a huge acre and a barn and a home and all these different things because you needed that kind of space. That was your livelihood. You might be farm to table, so to speak, and, and doing all of that. You woke up when the sun came up, you went to bed when the sun went down, you know, and you were all together and you had all this space because that's how life was. We moved to cities, we have suburbs and we have urban areas. And now the space, that you have to live to be and everything is so much smaller because let's be honest all you need is a bed and a bathroom um yes, maybe a kitchen I have a maybe. lot more than a bed in my house yeah. children come, <laughs> I, and i don't know if i can swear i really want to swear but children come i, with a I don't think that of, you should yeah a lot of stuff stuff and yes and yeah like, there are literally bikes in three in my living room my dining room and we have a, an addition on the back of the house like there's bike. There's bikes everywhere. Well, there's- so so what's happening with the elite athletes right now, who are touching bike handles, um, and who are used to being in the company of other people to compete with, way closer than six feet oh, distance. The are sports- they losing their minds? All the sports have stopped. All the I know, sports but, have stopped. But, and, but, and, but and like- what are they doing? Are are they still spinning? They're, I'm, I'm sure they're all training still, but our girls have a training regimen that they do too. Um, uh, but nobody's racing, like everything. All of the big world competitions have been either delayed or canceled. It was actually an announcement yesterday that BMX Worlds, which is actually happening domestically here this year. Last year it was in Belgium. The year before it was in Azerbaijan. This year it's in Houston. It's delayed. But like all of those huge races mm-hmm. are, most of them not happening which because there's no way people can get to the qualifying races to even right. get there. Right. And you're talking about international races where the, you know, the public health risks are even greater when you're bringing people from right. all kinds of places. So, so how are the really kids weird off year? Like yeah, there so, will probably be no racing this year. So, the fall, if we're lucky. so how, how are the kids feeling? Have they expressed any, any thoughts? What are you, what are you feeling? Um, they are actually 
sad about it. Phelan especially is sad about a race that's not going to happen. Um, she and I were, in fact, supposed to go to Seattle, though, like a, two, a week and a half after the, the outbreak in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and obviously that was canceled. And um, she was really disappointed because she's worked really, really hard. And the way that her division fell this year, she was going to be in a position to be a national champion um, because it's without getting too tough. It's a two-year division. And one year you're like the younger bunch in that group. And the next year you're the older bunch, you know, in that group. And she was going to be in the older half of yeah. that group um, and not have to chase the big girls who always beat her. Yeah. Um, and she was really looking forward to it and really focused. And now she will not get the chance. Like we, and we were supposed to go to the Olympic training center um, actually this week, she and I were supposed to be leaving for the Olympic training center for her to train there. And that's not happening. So yeah. um, there's a lot of loss. And interestingly, so this is the, so this is an interesting segue, right? Because I said, what has changed for my family? It's been dramatic work. not really so much has changed. Like, even though it's rapid response right now, that's not changed much. And the nature in which I do digital campaigning has not changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is really different is in the loss that my children are experiencing and my husband and I too, in other ways, we've really had to talk about grief and. Sadness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And how much grief there is mm-hmm. around not seeing your friends and not doing what you love and Yes, you can go on a hike, but not with your friends. Um, and yes, you can go to the playground, but not when a lot of people are there. And you still have to wipe everything down and you have to scrub your hands. And I'm sure people would tell me not to go to the park at all. But like, you have children who sit inside all day and then not take them someplace. Um, so there's just so much grief. And my younger daughter um, has had two episodes where she has just wept at dinner time. The first time because she couldn't, she discovered that they were not going to go back to school after spring break and they could very well not go back to school for the rest of the academic year. Yeah. And she just was heartbroken because it's like school is like her favorite place. She loves her teachers. She loves her friends. So that was like one episode. And then the next episode for her was actually just this weekend um, where there was this sense of um, grief and fear that she was already sad because she was afraid something was going to happen to me and to my husband. She was already grieving because she was afraid that we wouldn't have food. So she was already sad that we wouldn't have anything to eat because everybody was buying everything and they didn't need it all. And then the people who really need it can't get what they need. Like, I mean, all of this. Um, and, and have then- you or, 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 or your kids or your spouse gone through collective or individual grief and fear like this before? Yes. So is, is this familiar? Yeah. It's, it's really familiar to me. So this is actually like the connection that I've experienced when um, I had a very, I had a very challenging childhood. My parents came here in the mid seventies after the secret war in Laos. And I was the only person in my family born here in the United States my dad died when I was three and my mom died when I was eight. And <laughs> at that time, my brothers and I were sent to live with a family in Wisconsin, not an eth- like not an ethnic Hmong family. It was a white family. Um, and it was not a healthy place to be. Um, and I ended up getting 
kicked out of that house when I was 18, almost 18, 17, mm-hmm. at Christmas time, my senior year of high school. And what feels so powerful about this moment and seeing my children's sense of grief and confusion and the fear of, and what you just, what we just simply cannot know about what will come next. Right. I have in fact thought a lot about what it felt like to be 17, Mm. kicked out, like trying to graduate high school, not knowing where I was going to go and um, being so afraid and so sad, even though I knew that the place that I was leaving that I was getting kicked out of was not great for me. Right. Right. Um, so it's been really interesting because I think about all of the fear and sadness I felt then it has absolutely shaped the way that I respond to my child. Like just this weekend when she was like, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And you know, your first instinct is to be like, don't be scared. Like everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what she really needed to hear is that it's okay to be afraid. Like there's a very big difference between don't be scared. We're the adults. We got this. You know, like, no, it is okay to be afraid. It is okay to be frightened. It is okay to be confused because you don't know what's happening. But and, you I, know what? and I really did think about like, what would I have, what, I, what did I wish somebody had told me yes. when my dad died, when my yes. mom died when I was a kid, when I got kicked out. And so I hear my kid and I'm like, oh, I'm going to say to you what I wish somebody had said to me, which is like, it's okay. This yes. isn't the only feeling that you will ever have. This feeling won't last forever. This feeling is not a bad feeling. It's just a feeling. Mm. And you have lots of reasons to feel that, especially right now. This time is tumultuous and it's confusing and it's scary. And all you hear is people being afraid. And it's important for us to find other feelings to feel too, because people are also taking care of each other right now. People are also helping folks who can't get out of their house. People are being kind. People are like baking things and cooking for people and leaving it at the step of another person's house. Like all of that is happening. So you can be sad and scared and frightened and that's all okay. It's all reasonable. And we also need to find other feelings to put into the mix. You know, I, I love you so much right now and everything that you just shared because it is so damn true. And I think the key part is in really recognizing that what we are collectively and individually and in small groups going through is an intense amount of grief. Yeah. I, I had a similar conversation with my niece And I literally, you know, sent her some images and we started talking about the stages of grief Mm -hmm. and trying to track which state are we in now and which, which stage might be a little, little dangerous. And we want to make sure that we're not staying in the bargaining stage uh, for very long, Mm -hmm. right? Like all these kinds of things. But when somebody is grieving, it is probably the most um, heard time and moment where somebody says, it's, it's okay. And I'm sorry. And just letting people have their feelings. I don't, I've been to way too many funerals in my life as well. Um, and I find that in, in a funeral grieving type setting, I don't hear people say, stop your crying. You want something to cry about the same way that I do. Um, it's very, it's a very, I, I'm Mexican. It's a very Mexican thing. Maybe it's a POC thing that like, if I fell, my mom would turn around and say, what did you do? 
Like it, what, it, it, it isn't, it isn't is like, are you okay? You? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, what did you do? Right. You're always responsible for your own pain and everything because it's yeah. from their perspective. I don't want to have to comfort you right now. Can't you see I have enough on my plate? Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, but when there's grief, when something and someone has been lost in that way, there's a lot more uh, openness to allowing people to have those feelings, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that that's super helpful right now for people to be hearing, parents, families or not, that this is grief because yeah. the life that we knew before is gone. Totally. And totally. will it come back? Perhaps. Maybe we don't want all of it back. Like you were saying about the house you were leaving, but mm-hmm. you know, it was maybe not the best house to be in anyways. Grief is complicated with all of those things. Yep. More importantly, it's that moment where what is now is not what once was. And we have to allow ourselves and each other a time to take a beat before we can figure out what the, what the move on is and Absolutely. it's going to be okay. And all of those things. So thank you so much. Um, for really laying that down um, and giving, I think, a lot of us some something to really ground us in, like, it could be like this. And like you said, feelings don't have a, like, this one's a good one and this one's a bad one. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yep. And all feelings, regardless of what they are, have like a peak. They go up with intensity. They have kind of a, a peak plateau moment. And then, like any good roller coaster, it goes back down. Yep. And so we tend to in the States, in the U.S., tend to not want it to ever get to that peak. Totally, totally. And so you feel pain, ibuprofen. Um, You don't feel good, hey, go for that walk. Hey, you having a hard time? Meditate. Like everything has an answer instead of just letting things be. Yes. Which I think is like our hardest time right now. Like how can we just let things be? Yep. Well, and I think it's so challenging. Yeah, as a parent in particular during this time, with, a ch- with children who have such, one child in particular, who has such big, intense feelings, um, you know, giving her permission to feel that is also giving myself permission to feel stuff. Like, not just the kid in me that never got permission, but like the adult who also forgets how to just give permission, who like wants to turn a feeling into a task to fix it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, like... Because I spent my whole life living with people who told me not to feel certain things and not to react or respond to frightening yeah. things in a particular way. So that's not really my first instinct. Like, my, like, I have to be very deliberate in how I parent my child because it isn't my first instinct. My first instinct is actually to, like, run from the peak. Yeah, yeah. Or pretend there is no peak. Yes. <laughs> like to be like, nope, flatland. I don't know why I'm hopping and puffing. <laughs> Looks flat to me. I don't know yeah. why I'm sweating right now, yeah. pretending I'm not climbing this mountain, right? Like, right. <laughs> that's like, that's the emotional narrative of my life. Flatten life. the curve is, is the phrase <laughs> yeah. of the moment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so I think for adults too, like it's given me a chance to choose to be gentle with myself. And that doesn't mean I haven't like had a few moments when I was like, not kind to my spouse or not kind to my children. Oh, yes. I was stressed out. And oh, afraid, yes. And I didn't know what to say. Or I was just afraid of whatever was happening in the world and how absolutely horrible this virus is. And I just couldn't talk about it anymore. So instead, I was mean. Like but, but, I, yeah. but here's a question. Isn't it, <laughs> is, is it dangerous? Like, is it dangerous, in your opinion, for a parent 
to when your child starts to cry because they're freaking out, that you start to cry and freak out with them. Is that dangerous? Or, or is, is the job of a parent to be the stoic, steady, you know, you can cry, but I'm going to be strong for the two yeah, of us? That's a, that's a really funny question. I think that there is a way in which... Um, so I often think about like when my, when my feelings are out of control, it's like hyperventilating, except it's like emotional hyperventilation. Like I just start kind of spiraling. Yeah. And when my kid is spiraling, it's really important for me not to spiral, but it is really important for me to sympathize and empathize, mm-hmm. um, which has also been a lesson that's like a long time in coming for me because I didn't have a lot of people who sympathized or empathized with me as a kid and as a young adult and when I was struggling emotionally. Um, so in that sense, like, I think it's okay to cry if what you're doing is sharing the experience and not, um, engaging in a way that inflames what a child is feeling beyond their ability to comprehend what's happening. So that is a bit of like understanding early childhood development and what's, what they're cognitively capable of handling at a certain age and as a parent or as somebody who knows a young, you don't have to be a parent as somebody who knows a young person. If you know them well, you know what their capacity is and what their level of cognition is. But I, it's not helpful for me if my child is spiraling to also spiral. It's helpful for me. I think if my child is spiraling to affirm what they're feeling, try to connect by saying, I feel this thing too. Or like the other night when Phelan was afraid, my husband and I both said, we are scared too. And we know that there are people working really hard to fix this. And while we are home and sad and it's hard to be home and alone, we're also doing this because in being alone, we're actually taking care of our community and we're taking care of other people. And we're doing this because we actually love other people. Because if we decided to do whatever we wanted to do, we would hurt people that we know who could get sick, even though we feel fine and we look well. Yeah. And so that's, that's challenging, but, um, but it was important for us to tell her that we were scared too, without making her more frightened. Yeah. I, I, I also heard you, um, in, in a comment earlier, really sort of, you know, sharing with our, with the listeners, this idea of like the two sides of the same coin between sad and mad, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. when we don't make the time for ourselves to have our spiral out moment mm-hmm. and really release some of the, the sadness well or damn as it mm-hmm. might be for an mm-hmm. individual. What happens is that comes out as steam uh, and anger, right? Like I, I can completely, you know, relate to snapping at people oh, yeah. when really what I want to do is fall and collapse on the ground and weep. But yeah. instead I got stuff to do. And so I'm just going to say, could you get out of my way instead yeah. of yeah. collapsing on the ground of like, I cannot believe that we're in this state, right? Like there, there, it's two sides of the same thing. You yeah. got to get it out one way. Well, and it's exactly what happened yesterday. So I found out that um, when I was young, after my parents died and I went to go live with this family in Minnesota, one of the things they did was they sent me to this, hippie Quaker summer camp in Vermont when I was starting when I was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was there that I met like some of my very best childhood friends, friends I've known, I've been friends with for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a small group of us, of four of us. And we found out that one of the women in this circle, her husband 
um, who works in the medical field has contracted coronavirus, COVID-19, and um, is now hospitalized on a ventilator and his kidneys mm-hmm. are failing. And it, we don't know what's going to happen. And also, like, it doesn't sound great, right? So I, like, got this news. Yeah. And I'm in the grocery store, like, trying to do my shopping with everybody who's doing their pandemic shopping. Like, just crying. And also then, like, very self, like, self-conscious, like, should I touch my face right now? Because I'm <laughs> right. crying. I'm, like, weeping. <laughs> Can I touch one my of tears? My, one of my best friends who I've known for 33 years could have a husband who is dying from this and she can't see him because the hospital's locked down and she's not allowed in to see him and he's in the ICU and now she's starting to cough and they're telling her she doesn't exhibit enough symptoms to be tested because we have so few tests, right? So all of this is happening and I am like trying not to just lose it completely. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so exhausting. And I came home and I talked to my spouse about it. And then I realized that like the the absolute sadness and like the helplessness right now, like this is how serious it is. This is not like for everybody who thinks this is not serious, like just give it another week and you'll know someone too. Like that um, I just couldn't handle the sad anymore. And then I was really rude to my partner. I was really rude to my spouse. I was really rude, shortened to my children. Like, Um, and I like, it's in those moments when I can know I am at capacity that instead of just being like, I'm going to go be alone, I'm going to instead stick around and pick a fight with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my favorite moments. I should be alone right now crying, but instead I'm going to pick a fight with everyone who's next. Yeah. And why don't you come stand in front of my fire hydrant of emotion and I'm going to act like I didn't just unlock the hydrant myself, that somehow you did it. Like, it, you know, I have very predictable patterns. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm familiar with those patterns, too. I'm surprised we haven't bumped into each other on those patterns. I know. It's because you live in Reno and I live in Kansas City. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, the social distancing has a, has a, has a positive point to it then. That's right. That's right. But, but that is real. And then, you know, like if you have, um, the opportunity to be gifted with a family that is patient and kind, they'll tell you that what you did was really obnoxious and totally inappropriate and mean. And then they forgive you. Yeah. And, and then you realize, Oh, this is like the lesson for me, but like, this is a reminder of how like I need to engage with my family at a time that is frightening and stressful. And, um, how I need to teach my children because they'll act that way too. At some point, we all do. We all do. At some point we all do. Yeah. I mean, I, thankfully I, I, I have a partner who is um, equally as uh, incapable and relearning how to have feelings uh, like me. <laughs> and um, we've, you know, we've been together long enough to know what our norm is. Yeah. So that when somebody is mad, we pretty much you know, if we, the other person has the capacity to be kind, right. Depending on their bandwidth, we'll stop and say, are you okay? What's going on? Yes. Because we recognize that this isn't you. Yeah. But if that is you all the time, then, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's just a different level of you being a jerk. Yeah. Well, Uh, that was me all the time for a lot of my life. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Me too. Again, why are, why why is it that <laughs> we didn't bump into each other sooner? But this is also why you and I are like friends here. Yeah. We know, we know yeah. This. So, yeah. So friend. So, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you to pivot a little bit and mm-hmm. this might be a stretch considering just how deep and and how real and raw in many ways um what you shared has been. But I'm hoping that you can you can come here with me. I'm this is the final question. How would you finish the following sentence in 2025? So it's five years from now, okay? How would you finish and complete this sentence? You know, I'm actually really grateful for the pandemic because at least now I or we have blank. It's 2025. It's five years from now. And you find yourself saying out loud, you know, I'm actually really grateful for the pandemic because now I or we have blank. Oh, Felicia, that's hard. I know. Um, You can do it. Yes. Okay. So I would say I'm really thankful because we had the chance to learn how to slow down Mm. to learn how to be grateful for the things that we take advantage of every day in my family to certainly really examine how privileged we are and what that means for ourselves and how to be better stewards of the things that we have And I don't just mean things as in like food and money and resources, but the ability to, to be together the way that we can be right now, which is to cultivate joy together, to share experiences together, to play games together, um, to learn how to be bored together. Like, I feel like all of those things are actually really privileges that many, many, many people in the world do not get. Um, and I'm really glad that and thankful because I think forcibly having to stop may have given the world a chance to reset. And I don't mean the world as in like people, because I will be honest, I think not, not everybody will learn <laughs> the lesson of mutual aid. Right. But the planet got a chance to breathe for a little bit. Oh yeah. And the planet got a chance to breathe because we stopped driving our cars, because we stopped flying, because we stopped producing mass, like just mass industry stopped. Everything had to stop. And while it's really clear that during the pandemic, the stoppage illuminates what is so unjust and unfair about who has access and who has resources and who does not have those things. It also is giving people, I hope has given people a chance to understand that stopping is, is rich with opportunity. Yeah. I wonder if instead of having a moment of silence in the future to recognize those who those and that and everything that we will 
have lost and have lost in this pandemic, if it'll be a day or a week of recognition to honor the stop. Yeah. You know, um, because we're going to need to stop more often long-term if we're really going to learn um, some pretty valuable lessons uh, from this that we can take moving moving forward with us mm-hmm. and do differently. And wouldn't it be um, great if it was a day or a week in which we stop? And I think about it like this all the time because I'm a campaigner and a community organizer, but like, what if it was a week of action and the week of action was generosity and mutual aid? Like that that's how we think about this. And that's and what we remember. And that's what we yes. want to honor from this. It's yes. a week. It's a week to remember the pandemic of 2020. So you go to your neighbors and you ask what they need and yes. you give each other you food. Give, you give each other things. You make yeah. each other things. You, you know, my, my daughter in that moment of sadness, her first wave of sadness, part of what we agreed to is that like, we would cook for people. We would bake things for people. We have a, we have a, there's a family friends who are dairy free and gluten free. And they have a daughter who's close in age to my kids and she can never eat anything. We're making them a cake that they can eat. Like my daughter is a crafter and a maker. She's making stuff and sending it to people. Felicia included. You included. I right? cannot like, wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> I know. Thank God the post office, the postal service didn't shut down. Yes. But, um, but that that is a way for us to remember. So like as hard as this is, like we can also choose to respond in a way that helps us feel our feelings, that helps us process our feelings, that helps us cultivate some joy and in which we can choose to be kind and to be generous to people. And, you know, kindness and generosity with ourselves also means like, yeah, you might have a really crappy day one day and you weren't your best self, but then like part of being kind and generous is saying, okay, try again. This is many months that we're gonna have of lots of try agains. So many try agains. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. Yes, uh, thank you for, for having sharing me. your insight and your wisdom with us. Uh, this has been there, done that, your pandemic survival minute. This is Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human.